Good morning, community of faith. How are we doing today? Good, good to hear that. If you're watching at home, we welcome you. Next week, Laura and I are gonna do a, start a two-week mini-series that we're calling Marriage Toolbox. And it's gonna, it, it's some of the things that have changed our lives over these 38 years of marriage that we've had and been probably 30 of the happiest years of our lives, right? Because some of them were a little bit rough, but we've learned some, some really good lessons and we found some, some tools that a lot of us haven't used. So I don't want you to miss that. In fact, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to invite someone, okay? It's not that hard to invite someone and say, hey, we're studying about marriage, Mark and Laura, they're gonna do it, and they're just like us. Uh, we've all had struggles, you know, come and listen. So it's a great chance to invite friends and neighbors. I hope you'll do that next week for two weeks, Marriage Toolbox. I want us to start out with a little spiritual practice that we've been doing from time to time, but I want you to, Learn how to do it every day. I call it spiritual breathing. So you'll just close your eyes, lock out everyone else, get your feet on the ground firmly in front of you. Maybe you just want to take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth, kind of release everything else that's going on today. You left the van door open, stuff like that. Let it go. I want you to just say, thank you, God, for something. Tell him something you're thankful for that he's done for you lately. We forget to thank him so many times. Thank you for what? And then I just want you to tell God something that you like about him. That's called praise. I like this about your character. I love your mercy. I love your grace. I love your humility, whatever it is. That's called praise, and you praise him. I really like that about you, God. Then I want you to breathe out spiritually. When we breathe out, we get rid of that carbon dioxide and all the other things that our body can't use. And so you just say, Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Holy Spirit, bring to my mind anything that I need to confess to you. Any, any sin in my life that's blocking communication between us right now. And don't try to dredge them up from the time you were a child. Just say, Holy Spirit, bring them to my mind, and whatever he brings, you confess. Now, confess just means to agree with God. So you agree with God that that's sin, and that's all you have to do. He's faithful to forgive us our sin. then again, if you're a believer, it's time to breathe in. And that is, you just say, Holy Spirit, you already live in me. I want you to fill me up completely with all that you are. How do you know you're filled with the Spirit? It's not a feeling, but you see the fruits of the Spirit work out. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. If you didn't see that this morning, you want to definitely do that. So the Holy Spirit can begin to do that in you. All right, it's as simple as that. Look back up here. <clears throat> I love community of faith. A lot of churches you go to and you learn like history lessons and Bible lessons, but the Bible wasn't meant to be uh, just a book of history, though it's accurate when it speaks to history. But um, 
it's a book that's supposed to be lived out. So I want to talk to you in a really practical way, maybe in a way that you've never put together before, how faith works for life change, okay? How does faith work for life change? For decades, uh, scientists, psychologists have argued what makes us who we are? What makes us, gives us our personality? Is it nature? Is it nurture? There's a whole new uh, area of scientific endeavor that's called epigenics that's just come on the scene as we've learned more and more about the human genome. And what, what epigenic, epigenics is showing us is that those characteristics, those genes that are passed down from mom and dad they have some things about them that give them a predisposition towards certain things. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But it doesn't mean that we have to fall into them or do them, but we have a predisposition toward them. And so um, epigenics is really changing that whole nature versus nurture uh, argument that psychologists have had for, for so long. It's both. And what we learned is in, in epigenics is that Childhood experiences, other experiences in life, um, they cause some learned responses, and some of those tendencies will come out or be activated depending on <clears throat> what you go through in life. And so we begin to see that. That's part of what makes us who we are. You got 23 chromosomes from your father, 23 chromosomes from your mother, and some of you have always wondered, God, why did you give me those parents? Because he wanted you. And you wouldn't have been you without those specific genes, those chromosomes. And so um, that's part of what makes us who we are. We have these, these dispositions toward certain things. And, you know, I like to look back in, in our families and see what's there. Maybe, for example, you got a strong will from your daddy. Well, that doesn't mean that you have to be stubborn as a mule like he was, Right? It just means that God can bring that out in you and cause you to be someone who perseveres, who finishes strong, who, who really follows through. Or maybe, you know, you got all these different things like a super laid back personality. I didn't say lazy. I said super laid back, right? And, and so God's not expecting that you just don't do anything in life, but Maybe your task in life is to show people how to enjoy the journey, to enjoy each moment as it comes. You see, we have these different things. I like to look back and see if there's any negative stuff too. For example, alcoholism runs in my family from my mom's side of the family. And, and it's really a, a powerful, I mean, you see it all down through the line. And so, you know, why don't I go out and, and have a drink with you? Because that would just be stupid for me. It's not wrong to have a drink. It says don't get drunk. It's not wrong to have a drink. But for me, that wouldn't be a wise decision because alcoholism runs in my family and it's, it's uh, activated by having a drink. So I've just chosen not to do that. We, we can look at those things and, and kind of begin to see some of the different things that we might or might not want to do. ADHD. Um, depression, uh, low serotonin, low dopamine runs in my family from my dad's side. And so what do we do? What do I do? I, I well, I, now that I've been to the doctor and figured out what's wrong with me and he, you know, I, 
went to the psychiatrist and he cried. He said, you're the worst ADHD case I've ever seen as an adult. And I thought, well, it's not good when your psychiatrist cries over your mental health, probably, you know, it probably is not a good thing. But I take medication and it's changed so many things just simply. And I think God's given us this amazing medications for some of those kind of things. And we should take advantage. I've never really understood people who spiritualize everything. Have you ever met those people? You know, like I talked to a guy one time and he said, I had a headache yesterday and I fought in the spiritual realm and I fought for like eight hours and I rebuked the headache and I said, headache, you know, and I said, well, I had a headache yesterday too. And I took two aspirin. It was gone in 15 minutes. You know, I was like, I, I, what? And so sometimes we get so spiritual, you know, we're no earthly good. That's what my mom would say sometimes, you know, but um, God has given us some ways to deal with some of these things. And we need to look back in our line and see what some of them are. Some of you, if you think about it, 99% of your marriage problems have to do with alcohol. You never say those things until you've drunk a little bit too much. You could just turn your marriage around in about 10 seconds, right? By not doing that. So look at some of those different things in your life. Um, you know, as I get older, I look more and more like my grandpa Herod, which is my mom's dad. And he was scary to me. So I don't know what that means. You know, he was bald and he had been an alcoholic most of his life. And, you know, he, he talked like this. He goes, you boys, if I start talking like that, you just know I'm getting older. Okay. And maybe I'm going to do that. Maybe that's how I'm going to preach for now. And you people out there, but it just scared the snot out of me as a kid. He was so intimidating, you know. But I, I thought, wow, I'm looking more and more like him. And, you know, baldness runs in my family from uh, my mom's side. You know, I could say, Lord, give me hair. Please give me hair. But unless I go to the men's hair club, probably not going to happen, right? Because you see that. So we have those. And experience is what keys those things in, what causes those predispositions to happen. Sometimes it's an unmet need as a child. For example, maybe growing up, you longed for unconditional love, but you always got performance-based acceptance and, and, and kind of this really conditional stuff. And maybe you learned that casual sex causes the release of dopamine and oxytocin and makes you feel good and feel close for a little while, but then it comes in with overwhelming shame and, and, and all these other things. But you've had a learned response. Or maybe... You just armored up and became an island of one. I need no one else. Or maybe you did both. You see, there's different things like that that we can do. Maybe you need security. Maybe growing up, um, you just didn't get any security or recognition, and you've striven now for material possessions. And, you know, if I can just make it to this rank in the, in the company, if I can just have attained this kind of a house, you know, I, I'm going to impress my dad or my mom. Maybe they're long dead and gone, but you're still trying to do that. We have these different tendencies. A lot of times we confuse that with who we are. We've learned to be that, but we confuse it with who we are. We say, that's just who I am. You know, I'm Irish. I just have a temper, right? It just comes down. Well, there is a predisposition probably if you're Irish. I talked to a guy one time and he was just, 
telling me how he's just so angry with his family and he just would yell at his wife and his kids and, and they were there to see me because he had actually kicked the dog. He had gotten so upset and upset the kids so bad. And, and uh, he, he said, but I just can't help it. I mean, that's who I am. My dad was like that. My grandpa was like that. That's just who I am. And I looked at him and I said, wow, how many jobs have you had? And he goes, what do you mean? I've only had one job and I'm really doing good in it. And I said, really? I said, so how does your boss respond when you yell at him like that? He goes, well, I would never yell it. And then he just stopped. Uh, it's a learned response to yell at who I feel like is safer, you know, because I've never yelled at my boss ever. Did you know that guy learning that? His life changed. His family changed because he began to see that it was something that he had learned and there was a way to unlearn it and do something different. We're going to talk about that today. <clears throat> Habits also make us who we are. You know, if we make a choice over and over, it, it becomes like this highway in our brain. Our brains are amazing like that. Aren't you glad that you can have habits? I mean, if you didn't, just imagine getting up and, and, and you wake up and you get out of bed and you're like, oh, I need to brush my teeth. Now, how do you do that? Let's see, you start thinking about, you know, I need to eat breakfast. How to, what if you never could figure any, I mean, it would be difficult, wouldn't it? Driving a car. You remember when you learned how to drive a car? It was excruciating, wasn't it? I mean, it was like so many things to remember. And, you know, if you're 15 and you want to learn how to drive a car, don't ask me to drive with you. I'm terrible at being the helper. I actually, actually slapped my son in the, face once when he was about to hit a curb when he was learning how to drive a car. But, you know, it was effective because he's an amazing driver today. He just has this little flinch that he, that he does sometimes, you know. And my daughter Ashley said, hey, you're not teaching me how to drive. I was in the back seat when you hit David in the head, you know. You know, I want mom to help me. And you, it, it's, it, but you're now, look at you. Look at you now. I mean, ladies, you're in the morning, you're putting on your mascara, driving the car, you know, you're on your cell phone, not supposed to be on your cell phone. I have this tremendous fear. One day I'm gonna stand before God and he's gonna go, Mark, you lied multiple times every day. And I'm gonna go, really, what? I, I don't think so. I, yes, you said, I'm not driving. You kept hitting that little button. I'm not driving, huh? Is it a sin if you lie to Siri? I don't think so, you know, but... It's like, you know, I'm not driving. Well, who is driving? You know, I keep expecting her to say, well, who do you, there's only one person in the car, right? Because they know that kind of stuff. But we have these, these habits. And it's important that we're able to even, sometimes we don't see them, so it's important that we point them out to each other. Aren't you appreciative of the person that says, hey, you got a little broccoli in your teeth or something, you know? I always appreciate that, like standing up here, I've, I've gotten up here before and like had something in my beard or maybe a little something hanging out of my nose and nobody told me and it's on the big screen and it's 10 feet tall, you know, and it's like everybody's looking at me and I said, man, they're into it today, you know? I mean, I, I know, what is that? One time I had a, a Lululemon shirt and it said uh, on the backside underneath, it said, let's get dirty and it had flipped up and I saw everybody going like, why is everybody doing this today? Let's get dirty. I don't, what is that, you know? So it kind of just destroyed the whole sermon. But you, 
you appreciate when someone points that out. That's what, you know, one of the things I love about small groups is that we love each other, we encourage each other, and we also can say, hey, you know, there might be a little something going on here that you hadn't seen, and we can do that. So get in those small groups, join up. This is not, it's not gonna be people calling you out. It's just us enjoying each other. But as we do life together, some of these things can begin to come out. And sometimes if you get a good friend there that's able to do it, they can call you out on that just a little bit. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. What the Bible is saying is that change is a process. There's a process to it. You put off something, you be renewed in your mind, and you put on something else. And if you look in the Bible, it's almost always got this put off, put on thing. Like put this off, but put this on. And sometimes, you know, it seems really logical, like put off lying, speak the truth. But what it really means is always speak the truth. No matter what, speak the truth. If you have trouble lying, then what you have to do is you start to memorize the scriptures that talk about speaking the truth and and letting no unwholesome word come out of your mouth and all that, and then you begin to always speak truth. That's excruciating sometimes because we have this tendency to just lie, little white lies or whatever, and God's going, I don't want you to do that anymore. Jay Adams, a psychologist, says it takes six weeks to develop a new habit with this put-off, put-on kind of thing. So it's not an overnight thing. It takes like six weeks. A lot of us, we come into a relationship with Christ and we say, Jesus, I want you to be the boss of my life, be in charge of my life. And we feel like lightning is going to strike and all of our bad habits are going to be gone in an instant. But that's not how God does it. You see, what the Bible says is when you come into that relationship with Christ and you ask him to be everything, you say, I'm sold out for you. I'm on this journey with you. I'm, I'm yours. That He actually does something amazing inside of us, whether you feel it or not. He makes you a new creation. You're really the highest creation that's going to be in heaven, higher than the angels, those of us who are believers. He's made us this amazing new creation. He's brought us into his very own family. But then we spend the rest of our life on earth trying to line up the old mindset, the old self, with who we really are on the inside. But if you don't know that you're a new creation, then you just say, no, this is just who I am. I just, you know, I struggle with porn. I'm just going to, you know. But if you're a new creation, you realize that's not who I am. And you begin to look and you begin to find out, how do I change that? How do I do something about that? And so basically, what do you do? Well, this morning you got up and, you know, you woke up, you're in your pajamas, or let's just say you're in your pajamas for our sake, okay? And If you didn't put on something else and you came on to church, you put off pajamas, didn't put on anything, you'd stand out in the crowd, right? So um, we do that all the time. We put off and we put on, but we have to do it spiritually too. I'm going to give you a good example with me, eating. Now, 
I, most of my life, um, since I, you know, my metabolism slowed down a little bit, about age 30, I've had this tendency to be a tad bit fluffy, I call it, you know? And, and so I'd always struggled, you know, with my eating. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. And I agreed with that. I thought cheesecake and Twinkies and, you know, you don't just, not just bread, you know? But I would struggle with that. I would say, oh, I'm not gonna live by bread alone, you know? God, help me with this, help me with this. But if you look at what Jesus said, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what I began to understand was every time I feel that, like the other day, I bought one of those cheese balls. I love those, you, you know, with almonds around them. You know what I'm talking about? They have those cheese balls. And I think that's just one serving, right? I'm not sure, but I've always thought it was one serving because I usually eat it all at once. And, and I was looking at it and I really wanted it, but I wasn't hungry. Man shall not live by cheese ball alone, you know? But by every word, and so I thought, okay, I'm gonna put that off. And I went in the other room and I got down on my knees and I started looking through the scriptures and finding God's words. And I'm gonna live by God's words. I'm gonna live by God's words. And I started practicing that. And, and it's been amazing. And the weight doesn't just fall off. It's effort, right? But that's what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about work out your salvation. And it's, it's not that we work for our salvation. It's a free gift, but it's like we begin to, line up who we actually are on the inside with our brain and all those old habits and all those predispositions, all the epigenics that came down through the family line. We began to move that and change that. And I've watched that in a lot of you. You're not who you were last year, thank God, said your wife, right? It's like you have begun to really move and change. Another one, don't be drunk with wine. Say, well, I struggle with that. I'm not gonna, but be filled with the Spirit. So it's like a put off and put on kind of thing. You look all through the Bible. So if you just practice that spiritual breathing, that might help you with some of that, okay? Fill me, Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all right? That's his fruits that come when you're just filled with the Spirit. In fact, Jesus said this, this interesting Basically, he's saying we activate this faith to change with our will, with our chooser. It's not about feelings. It's, it's our will and our chooser because feelings are all over the place. Feelings are kind of like the red light in your car that tell you how things are going. If feelings are off, then probably there's something to work on there, okay? But you don't live in those feelings. The Bible teaches not to do that. In fact, Jesus said if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Jesus is saying, if you step across the line and you choose to do my will, you'll know if I'm God or not. You'll know. Now that's different. Most things you can figure out from the outside. I'm looking at that. Well, that kind of makes sense to me. He's saying Christianity isn't like that. You have to step in. If you choose to do my will, if you choose to step into this relationship with me, you'll know. And that speaks to all my friends out there who are agnostic. I have so uh, many friends that are agnostic. They're usually so intelligent. But you know what? I've found that two times out of three at least, agnosticism is a feeling more than a fact. Even with all the intellectual facts you have about that, 
It's a feeling that God is a million miles away. It's a feeling that God doesn't care. Maybe from some disappointment you prayed and God didn't answer the way you wanted him to or something happened in childhood and you can't understand how God would allow that. And so we become agnostic. It's a feeling that we have. He said, if you want to know the truth, step into the truth. Maybe it's as easy as saying, well, I don't know. I don't understand everything Mark's talking about today. But Jesus, I'm stepping into you right now. I choose to do that. Show me that you're real. And then just begin to read the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. And he'll just begin to reveal himself to you like crazy. I've seen it over and over and over again. And you'll know the truth. And that's what's going to set you free. Work out your salvation, the Bible says, with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. James says, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is a big key. You might want to even write this down somewhere. I must act my way into a new way of feeling, not feel my way into a new way of acting. I must act my way into a new way of feeling, not feel my way into a new way of acting. Now, in America, we're big feelers, right? And so we have this tendency to think, okay, when I feel the feeling, I'm going to do that. If I don't feel the feeling, then it's not real and it's not true. But the Bible says, no, feelings aren't accurate. They're not an accurate test. In fact, our feelings, depending on our, our childhood experiences and trauma and things like that, could be all over the place. They could be telling us something that's not right at all, not even close to accurate, or maybe way overemphasized. You know, a lot of us, we like to think, I've lost that love and feeling. You ever feel that way? You say only about, you know, every Monday morning when I wake up, you know, look over at that guy and, you know, thought I'd married Brad Pitt and it looks like avocado pit over there, you know, and, and, and he just got bad breath and, you know, and, blah, you know, and he's looking at me like, Hey, you want to do something this morning? No, you know, it's like, I don't. So, but here's the thing. If we begin, what the Bible says is love is patient, kind, gentle, it, it doesn't seek its own way. It, it's all of these actions. First Corinthians 13, look it up. Begin to act that way towards your spouse and you'll be stunned. Even if your feelings have gone away, they'll come back. Now, not overnight. Some of you have got like years of resentments built up. And, and so it's gonna take some time. But I promise you that as you begin to act the way that God says to act, in love, this is what love means. Love isn't a feeling, it's action. And it tells us those actions, put those on, you know, put off just worrying about what your feelings are and put on believing those actions. Feelings will follow. Some of you are waiting for the feeling to hit. It's, you're gonna be waiting a long time, you know? Well, as soon as he does right, I'll do right. Well, yeah, you're blown there, okay? As soon as she does right, I'll do right. No, you have to begin to, be the one that acts it out first. Another example, God says, don't neglect gathering together, but encourage one another. 
You know, I talk to people all the time. They say, well, you know, I just don't, I don't feel that comfortable at church and, and, and community faith has gotten bigger. And, you know, it's like, well, the Bible says, put off neglecting gathering together. Put on encouraging. What if you came with the idea that I'm going to encourage one or two people today? Maybe I'm going to encourage the pastor today. You know, I'm going to even act like I'm listening when he's talking. I'm going to like nod and, and, you know, even if I don't care, I'm going to do that. It would change everything. It would change your whole perspective, wouldn't it? I'm coming to encourage. It's not about us anymore. We, we come into church a lot of times like we're teenagers again. And teenagers always think it's, you know, I have a zit on my nose and, and everybody's staring at it. I just know it. I know. And, and everybody else is thinking about their own nose, right? But we come into church kind of like that. Oh, something's going to show up, you know. So I'm going to leave the door of my van open and feel stupid, you know. And I'm going to, I'm going to. But nobody cares about that. Everybody is here seeking and wanting to become more than they are. And, and you could encourage that. That's a big deal as we begin to do that. You know, it, it, it's so interesting to me that we get all caught up in just thinking, I, I just can't, I can't live this Christian life. It's just, I mean, my feelings are all over the place. My, my childhood trauma has blown me out. The Bible says it's not that hard. It's kind of like walking. It talks about walking in the spirit. You remember how you learned how to walk? It's pretty painful. If you still walk like that, you know, remember, what if I did that? Like, oh, hey, I'm, you're going, are you drunk? What's the deal, you know? No, I'm a toddler. I'm learning how to walk. And what would happen? You would fall, land on your rear end a lot. Hopefully, your diaper didn't have anything in it, you know? And if you had a dad like me, when you came and your diaper did have something in it, he would bend down and look at you and go, go tell your mom, you know? And, and she caught me one time. I, I was like looking at one of the little ones, go tell your mom. And they're looking over my head and go, she's right there, isn't she? You know, because she's going, you change it, buddy. But we have this tendency to think it's so hard. No, you have to learn how to do it, though. It isn't easy at first but it becomes easier and easier. I want you, if you say there's this tendency that I'm struggling with and I'm trying to, to, to figure it out, then I want you, and you say, I don't know what the put off and put on is, then just either text the church or email the church and, and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. What is it that I need to put off and put on? And I'll get one of our pastors to get with you and talk to you specifically about how you can do that. This is how life changes. It's not near as hard as what we think it is, but it begins in really small ways. The Bible says don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise it. Just do that next small right step. In fact, you really can't miss it if you do the next small right step, whatever it is, that next step of obedience that God's talking to you about. Just take it. Take the next small right step. That's what we do. I want you just to close your eyes with me for a minute.
think about that area in your life. You say, yeah, I've been really struggling or my relationship has been really struggling. You have the courage to email the church. But what is it that I need to do? You'll get someone that really cares about you that'll call you back personally on the phone if you'll leave your number or text or email you back if you want it that way. So here's what you can do. Start with this. And maybe you're here this morning and you just, I've got so many questions about this, about God, about Jesus, about is this real? Is this, is this for, for real? I've seen life change happen around me, but, but I, I don't know. I have just too many questions. There's never too many questions for God. But maybe if you'll just have the courage and you say, Jesus, I, I don't understand a lot of what Mark's talking about. I still have a million questions. But if you're really real, like he says you are, I want to step in to you today. I want you to be my Lord today. I want you to be in charge today. I give my life completely to you. Forgive me of my sins. I want to walk with you the rest of my life and let my life be sold out to you. And then begin to read that gospel of John that I said, and watch what he does as he brings himself alive to you. If anyone wants to know, step into my will and you'll know. That's what he says. I want to encourage you to do that. Let me pray over you. I know this has been pretty simple today, but I'm just saying that the simple things are the things that trip us up. Sometimes we say, Jesus, I'll, I'll climb Mount Everest for you. I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I mean, I'll do the hardest thing. I'll, you know, I'll die for you or whatever. He says, just take the next small right step in your marriage. Just take the next small right step in that thing that's playing it out in, in your life that came down through your line. Just take the next small right step into me and watch me work. Father, we trust you. Jesus, we choose to believe you. Not a feeling that we have, but as an act that we step into. And Father, we know that if we do that, you've promised something. So keep your promise to us. Come kingdom of God, be done will of God over us and let nothing stop each and every one of us within the sound of my voice taking that next small, right step into you. Show us what to put off. Show us how to renew our mind. Show us what to put on. In Jesus' name, amen.